I like to run. And lately as I've been running, over the last month or so, I keep having this recurring thought and about life. So when I'm out for a run, cars will go by and I don't even really notice them. They're just passing objects. And I'm busy with the dialogue that's going on, my internal dialogue in my head. I'm busy with my own thoughts, my own life, my own worries, my own concerns. And I hardly even notice that all these cars have gone by when I'm running. And then when I'm driving, I'll see runners. And even though I'm a runner, I don't really notice them either. I might make a note that, oh, they're going pretty fast. I can't run that fast or something along those lines. But I don't really notice them. And by a half mile down the road, I, it's like I never passed a runner. And this phenomenon of the other being nothing but a passing object, whether I'm in the car or whether I'm the runner, has got me thinking about humanity, thinking about what is wrong, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with the world. It's got me thinking about the biblical narrative and specifically about salvation. What exactly is Jesus offering us? Now, I want to be clear. There's absolutely nothing wrong with, with not noticing cars driving by when you're running, and there's nothing wrong with not noticing runners when you're driving. Unless you're those people that text and get so close to the runner they have to drive, jump into the woods, which happens to me and it drives me up a wall. Then I notice cars. However, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with that. But what I think is happening and why I keep having this recurring thought is, it, is this metaphor that speaks loudly to this reality that the other and their world is so insignificant to us. They're just passing objects. And then this past weekend, Rich led us on this wonderful retreat in which I was not Darth Vader. And we explored real living in spite of circumstances. The hope, the joy of life of Christ in us, living His way, and how that stands in sharp contrast to the life of hyper-self-centeredness, and which is just a series of highs and lows depending on the circumstances of our lives. So we had Dave sing a song, which Dave's going to sing in a bit here when I'm done, in which these are some of the lyrics. Welcome to the fallouts, welcome to resistance, the tension is here between who you are and who you could be, between how it is and how it should be. And this is why this metaphor that has been hitting me every time I run has got me thinking about salvation. For I think salvation is exactly about this. Self-focus and the other being insignificant may be who we are and how it is, but I think salvation offers us the reality of who we could be and how it should be. So today I thought we would reimagine or rediscover the idea of salvation or at least begin to. For I think salvation is one of these words, like a lot of theological words we look at here and try to rediscover and reimagine, it's one of these words that the original meaning due to the influence of time, culture, personal agendas, has shifted quite a bit. And as such, it has left us wanting. Maybe we have settled for some reduced understanding of the term that deprives us of all its glory and its wonder. And especially here in the West. Over the last 50 to 100 years, and that's something important to understand, people, a lot of Christianity that 
people really embrace in America is less than 100 years old. It's not an ancient understanding of our faith. It's a very modern understanding of our faith. And so what has happened is over the last 50 years, this term has been reduced to some theological concept having to do with nothing more than some future residency. Which, by the way, may be one of the reasons people are undervaluing the role of church and a faith community in their lives. There, there, you always hear these talk of, of the, the population of churches declining. I think this might be one of the reasons, because think about it. If salvation is just a key to live in heaven, then once we have it, who cares what we do? Who cares? Just another propositional fact that we add to our goodie bag, and we're fine. But if it is so much more than that, if salvation is so much more than that, then we have to think of these two things. Number one, what are we missing out on? And number two, and more importantly, if we're pursuing something that is not really completely salvation, then is it salvation? So, theologically speaking, Salvation is an ancient concept and originated with the Israelites. The Old Testament is full with the idea of salvation. Here's just a few examples from the Old Testament. In Exodus, Moses said, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. Another example we read together earlier in the Psalms, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. And the great prophet also said, O oh Lord, be gracious to us, we have waited for you, be their arm every morning, our salvation also in the time of trouble. Then in the Old Testament, the term is at times immediate and has to do with both personal and community rescue, protection, deliverance. And at other times, it's more mystical, and it has to do with redemption, atonement, forgiveness. Now in the New Testament, the concept is everywhere as well, and it's the first real reason given for the incarnation of God. In Matthew 1.21, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here's the purpose of the incarnation. Now, notice something. This understanding of the salvation Jesus brings is, I think, what we need to rediscover. For it says here, He will save us from our sins. See, for many people... Maybe for you, I know for me, for many years of my life, salvation always had come to mean saving us from the consequence of our sin. And while that meaning might not seem so different, it is. For that meaning of just saving us from the consequence suggests to us that sin is just something we live with, but at least we're saved. But as such, and as such, we don't even think of what we should be, and how it could be. Right? But see, saves us from our sins indicates sin is something that is foreign to us, that hurts us, that destroys us, that damages us, that imprisons us. We get so focused on the consequence of sins, we miss the biblical message that it's the sins that is bad for us. Something we need to be saved from. So, if this whole Jesus thing is true, we can be saved from it. That's the good news. We're not meant to be prisoners of who we are and how it is. See? 
And so saved from sins should inform our understanding of this idea of salvation. And in fact, the English word salvation finds its beginning in the Latin salus, salus, which means healing, healing. And this is consistent with Jesus' own understanding of his mission, to heal people. This is a beautiful thing. This is a beautiful thing. When people are sick, they go to their doctors for healing. The only reason we don't go to our doctors when we're sick is because we don't believe we're sick or we don't know we're sick, right? Or we're into some other form of medicine. But for the majority of us, when we're sick, we go and try to find someone to help us. The gospel has been so turned into a gospel of consequence, we've missed the point. We're sick and we need Jesus to heal us. So, as we watch and listen to Jesus, we get a pretty good idea of what is broken and needs healing. For over and over, his explanation of the salvation he offers is all about being free of self. Free of self-protection, free of self-serving, free of self-focus. So he says things like this, if you lose your life, you will find it. And he says, take up your cross and follow me. Now I love this verse. Almost every Christian can quote, take up your cross and follow him, right? But if you've never noticed the beginning of this, if, you, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Boy, doesn't that open that verse? No one ever quotes that. Now, to be fair, fair, in most translations, it says deny yourself. This is why I put up this translation, because this captures the original better. Deny yourself in 2016, Western America, is, is more about... Ascetics like dieting and things like that, so it doesn't get to the full thing that Jesus is getting at. He, he's talking about get rid of something that's really bad for you, turn from your selfish ways. And then, of course, the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. So, this is an altruistic lifestyle, correct? It's about the others. But here's the thing this life of selfishness is so ingrained in us, so accepted by us. So defended by us, it seems part of our DNA. It's our modus operandi, if you will. It, it is our default way of living. It is. And listen, this is perfectly acceptable. Understandable, not acceptable, understandable. This is perfectly understandable. <coughs> perfectly. I'm not here pointing fingers. This, is, this study that I've been on for the last few months, and I'm not going to continue to take us through it together, but... There's no pointing fingers. It's hard. Because this is understandable. I want you to think about it. Every experience we have as a person places us firmly in the center of that experience. Think about this. There is no other way to experience life. So think about right now. We are in the middle of a church service. We've all been in the same church service since 9.30 this morning. And each one of us, it is happening around us. Us, as an individual. And we've all experienced it differently so far. All of us have experienced it differently. Even right now, let's take this part of the worship service, the teaching time. So everyone's hearing the same words. Well, everyone's maybe hearing the same words. But not everyone's listening to the same words. Some aren't even listening. And that's understandable. Some of you had a long, exhausted weeks. And right now is the perfect time to get some sleep. That's fine. I see, I see nodding off all the time. I'm good with that. I get it. Craig snores. It's okay. 
I, I used to, when I lived in Australia, I, I had this Bible study, and my good friend, God bless him, Neil, he's in heaven now, he, he died young of cancer, but his wife, Chris, every Bible study, five minutes in, she'd be asleep. And at the end, she'd just be like, David, your voice is so soothing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Not a girl, Chrissy. Never get you through the night. But think about this, who are having our experience. So some aren't even listening, and that's okay. Others are checking their phone, maybe Facebook, maybe texting, or maybe taking notes, as some of you like to tell me, no, David, I'm taking notes. Others of you can't really hear what I'm saying because that internal dialogue that is always going on in your head is so loud right now. Because life for you sucks right now. And, I'm, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Some of us are going through hell right now. So that internal dialogue won't shut up long enough to hear what I'm saying. See, this is, and this is just a church service. And we're all experiencing. So this is understandable. From the time we are born, everything we experience happens around us and is interpreted through this lens of, I'm the center of the universe. It's just, and you know what, birth to two? Birth to two, it's normal. Right? We know it's normal. We talk about it. There's books written on it. That's why they cry. They're the center of the universe. They cry and their universe gets dealt with. It's beautiful. Then they get to two, and we start trying to break them of this habit that the world does not evolve around them. And we're mostly successful, and then we all become these adults that think we're not selfish at all. But that's just the outward appearance. We're all selfish, and we're all in prison to our selfishness. Now, none of us like talking about it this way because it seems so obviously grotesquely selfish. I get that. But let's, can we just be honest this morning? It is our reality. And to put it in theological terms, we are all deeply in worship of ourselves as God of the universe. That's fine. We function out of our personal agendas. We function out of our personal understanding of the universe that we are at the center of. We function out of our fears that keep us in this self-protecting default mode. And this is the disease we need healed from. That's it. This is it. The singular disease we need healing from. This is sin. Think about these examples. Some of these might resonate with you, some won't, but you have your own examples that maybe these will make you think of. Someone's driving in front of you too slow. Annoying. If they keep driving in front of you too slow, especially in the third lane of the highway, and they don't get out of your way, they become idiots that don't know how to drive and are ruining your life. However, if you're driving slow and someone's on your tail about this close... They are jerks who are definitely trying to ruin your life. Right? That's simple. The other becomes something evil. And how about this? Depending on where you're at in your car, so you're in the third lane, the person in front of you is going too slow, so they're an idiot. The person behind you think it's you, so they're on your tail, they're a jerk, and you're a mess. <laughs> this is the universe we live in. You go out to dinner, and the waitress is a miserable Attitude. Ugh. What a horrible human being. Ruining my dinner and my experience. And these are minor issues, and maybe you have some of your own. Now think about relationships that really matter to you. And when that other person doesn't buy into the fact that you're the center of the universe, <coughs> wow, do things go bad quick, don't they? This is the default setting of our lives. That the world is here to serve us, and when it doesn't, 
And the worst part is, we can't help it. For most of the time, we're completely unaware that anything is wrong with us at all. For self-protection just seems so normal. It's, It's our prison. And we don't even know it's there. There's this great joke philosophy professors will use. There were these two teenage fish swimming one morning. and This old, old fish swam up to them and said, Hey boys, how's the water today? And they looked at him and said, What the heck is water? And they swam away. Completely unaware of their surroundings. The Christian story mostly is we are completely unaware of the surroundings of our sin, which is just self-focused. This is why surface morality Christianity makes such a big deal in people's lives. Because you can meet all these surface moral laws. I mean, let's face it. The majority of us sitting here right now, by the very fact we're sitting in church on a Sunday morning, means we probably keep the majority of the Ten Commandments in our life on a daily basis. So therefore, our outside life looks great. Haven't had to deal with what's really wrong. The profound selfishness that we live in. And this is exactly why Jesus came to save us. Our self-protective living is not life at all. It's death killing us slowly and destroying the world around us. So the good news is, we don't have to live like this. He invites us to follow Him. Jesus invites us into a life of other-centeredness. A life in which God and others come first all the time. For there is where we will find healing. We will know salvation. And magically, and crazily enough, we will finally have the real life we've been trying to protect all along. Listen to how Peterson interprets this verse of laying on the cross. He writes, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Don't run from suffering, embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. Wow. That is an awesome translation of that verse. And captures the gospel. And see how we live in this prison without knowing it? Because even as Christians, we write books about self-help. Which is the opposite of what Jesus came to talk about. And I think this is why Jesus always talked about setting us free and that His salvation would give us peace, joy, abundant life. Because of this. We find our true selves when we finally let go of ourselves. The beauty of His way is we open ourselves to the truth. Here's the truth. It's difficult to hear, but here's the truth. We're all equal pieces of a universe in which none of us are the center of. Boy, that hurts, doesn't it? Especially when you think of some of the people out there. But we're just equal pieces. See, I just did it. It was my own selfish agenda. (laughs) Judging the idiots. We're all equal pieces in this universe that none of us are the center of. He's the center of. And here's the beautiful part of God being the center of this universe. We're not passing objects to Him. We're not passing objects to Him at all. He made us so He could love us. His universe is completely altruistic and centered on the other. That's good news. And by the way, I want to make a side note on heaven. I know I'm going long this morning, but it's just a big concept I'm trying to break down. But I want to make this side note on heaven. I want you to think about something, which this just hit me the last two weeks. And I was like, duh. 
52 years of, of just self-centeredness. This is a slow journey out of self-centeredness. If God is the king of the universe and the center of the universe, and his way is altruistically loving us, even his enemies, which this is the biblical story, right? He died for us while we were yet sinners. What do you think heaven's going to be like? This idea that heaven is a place where we are going to be self-ratified all the time, I think misses the mark by a long shot. A long shot. But maybe that's why we needed this form of religion that is all about fear and consequence in this heaven that is about just us being satisfied. Because heaven, if it's really God's heaven, is going to be about loving others. If we're not into that salvation now, my guess is we're not going to be into that salvation then. I hate to tell you our enemies are going to be in heaven. Especially how narrowly we define enemies. Think about that. Heaven. Heaven. Anyway, His universe is the universe we're invited to live in. In which we do our part, whatever that may be, whatever our part is, playing music, teaching 8th grade, doctoring, nursing, trash collecting, whatever our job is, it's just to be our part in this universe, love God and others. It's a universe which is truly free of fear. Think about this, and I'll try not to break out into a, into a uh, old classic 60s song because Rachel just die here, but <laughs> when there's nothing left to lose, what is there to fear? What is there to fear? So when we willingly lay it all down, as Jesus says, there's nothing left to protect. So there's nothing left to fear. See? And when we no longer have fear, we are then most truly free to love, to live, to understand. We are free of all the demons that haunt us. We are healed. We are saved. Freedom is what Christ offers us. Freedom to be aware. Think of it this way. When we are free to not let others be just passing objects out to ruin our lives, you know what we're free to do? We're free to see the driver going too slow in front of us is no longer a nuisance to our day, but a fellow human being who may be driving slow because they were in an accident once going too fast. We're free to see the guy on our tail behind us, not as a jerk trying to ruin our world, but maybe he just got a call that his doctor was taken to the that his daughter was taken to the hospital fighting for her life because she got injured in an accident at school. We're free to see the waitress with the attitude, maybe as a wonderful human being, but right before she came to work, her husband found out he has stage four lung cancer. We're free. To see the water around us. And if we're free to bring that to people we don't even know, imagine that freedom when we bring it to our own personal relationships. When I get really upset with my wife, it's because I'm so involved in my own universe, I forget my wife's father died when she was three years old. It takes a long time to overcome that with a little girl. I forget that. 
if I was free, I would remember that and be a much more patient husband. When we're free, our lives soar instead of being dragged down by worry and insecurity and fear and bitterness and anger and hatred as we try to protect our little universe. We're free to love others, to follow the greatest commandment. We can live it out. We can do it. When we allow Jesus to heal what is really wrong. The good news of the Bible is that salvation is available. We do not have to live slaves to a system in which we imagine ourselves God of the universe and are constantly miserable because the universe doesn't serve us. We can joyfully join the real universe where Jesus Christ is God not ourselves, and we are healed, forgiven, and free to love. We can be busy living who we could be and how it should be. Now, please, as we end, know this. Please. This is not a one-step journey. This is not an instant reality. Now, people have radical conversions, absolutely, and those are beautiful moments, and we should encourage those moments in each other's lives. But it's never a one-and-done no king gives up the throne easily. All of us who watch Game of Thrones know that. Our self is not giving up our throne. It's a long process. And the first step, unfortunately, tends to be the hardest. And it's often the step that keeps us from taking the journey at all. For the first step is stopping looking inside and being honest about all the stuff we've talked about today being honest and saying, yeah, I really am a selfish, horrible person. But, it's okay to take that first step, because here's the thing, the God we love, loves us so much, it, it, we don't stay in that place of, oh my gosh, I'm a selfish, horrible person. We say, oh my gosh, I'm sick. I'm a sick person. You don't beat yourself up for being sick, I hope. When you go to the doctor with pneumonia, you're not, oh, doctor, I'm so sorry, I have pneumonia. No, I have pneumonia, heal me. If we're willing to look deep inside, there's nothing to be afraid of. We'll see the truth. We're sick, and we need salvation. We need salus. We need healing. And we have a God that heals us. God has nothing to do with fear. So don't look inside for the purpose of judging or getting lost in despair. Look to be honest. Look to see the water that's around us. Being aware of who we are and that this is what God wants to heal. This is what God wants to heal. And He can. To use the example of my running that I started the day with. You know, I've been running for years. But there are runs I take now that have a difficulty level and a distance level that I could never do 15 years ago when I started running. Never. I struggled getting around my neighborhood, which used to be up here, and literally around the neighborhood meant one-tenth, 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 four-tenths of a mile, and I struggled. But I kept doing it. Taking yourself off the throne of the universe is a day-by-day -day thing. Sometimes it's two steps up, 
one step back. Sometimes it's one step up, two steps back. But I am convinced, I am convinced, if we practice through prayer and little surrenders each day, little ones, little ones. My wife was getting on me for my selfishness the other day, and I was like, yeah, but please see, I'm a little better than I was 10 years ago. Come on, give me a little hope. Little surrenders every day. We will start seeing the transformation the Spirit is working in us. Jesus came to save us from our sin. I pray we would all be courageous enough to let him. Amen. Dave's now going to sing.